Well, it is good to see you this morning, and uh, I believe at the end of the service, the Gideons will be at the back door, and if you would like to make a donation toward their ministry, and again, all of that goes towards the producing and distributing of Bibles around the world, please do that, and I trust that as God has blessed you, you will give generously. So, summer means vacation. And if uh, you are a parent that has uh, traveled with uh, young children, there's lots of exciting parts of vacation, right? You, uh, if you're staying at a motel, it's a lot easier if it has a swimming pool. And uh, if you, uh, you need to take many breaks and you have to learn the answer, no, to the question that will be said over and over, are we there yet? But one of the things is, is you stop at these tourist places. Anybody ever stop at a tourist place, right? You know, any direction you go. And, and you stop there and your kids get inside the door. And it's amazing the things that they didn't even realize existed two minutes ago that now they cannot live without. And so if you're a parent who currently has young children, you may want to write this down because somebody suggested to us, and it works really well. What uh, you do is you say, all right, and you have a designated amount of money that you give to each of your children, and you say, you can spend this however you want. But when it runs out, it's out. Now, you do that for a couple different reasons. You do that because then you don't, at every store or gas station you stop at, have the argument and tears about how their life will never be the same without whatever that little gadget is that will break in three minutes, right? It also teaches them responsibility and decision-making. And, it, and we would do that with our kids, and it was amazing that uh, some of our kids, or a couple of them, I mean, the first place, they were almost out of money. And, and it was hard, because you would watch them, and they'd say, oh, I need this, and you're like, oh, that's not going to last. But they make the decision. And then you have kids that will, on the very last stop, they've got all or almost all their money left because they are so cautious in what they use the money for. So it was a great learning experience for our family. It, it taught me to bite my tongue at times, but it was also great for our children to make decisions on what is really valuable. And in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus shares a series of parables in chapter 13. And in these parables, he shares the importance of putting Christ first and seeking Christ rather than other things. And in Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46, we have what's called the pearl or the parable of the pearl of great price. 
Notice what it says. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he has found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That was valuable, and it was worth everything else to seek out that. As we continue in Philippians chapter 3, Paul gives us that same important lesson. The important lesson of putting Christ first and seeking Him above all else. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing this morning. Father, as we come before You, may we be challenged in Jesus Christ. May we be encouraged in our relationship with You. and May we recognize the importance of putting You before anything else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beginning in verse 7, we, we see Jesus beginning to describe what it means to put Jesus Christ above everything else. What Paul describes as putting Jesus above everything else. And we see a word that he uses in verses 7 and 8. And that is the word count. And it's the idea of an accounting. To make a determination. To, like the accountant will go through and, and check out the value of things. Paul is challenging us to count what's most important. Verses 7 and 8 read this, but what things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish or garbage, that I may gain Christ. Count, to consider, to place value upon. In verse 7, that word is seen in verse 7, in the past tense, in verse 8, present, and actually in verse 7, in the Greek it was in a perfect tense, which means a process completed in the past with present consequences. What's he saying, and, and what happened? When he met Jesus at the, on the Damascus Road, he changed everything that was important in his life. He counted. It was a point in time in the past with continual consequences. And he said, Jesus Christ is now my focus. Everything else is as garbage in comparison to Jesus Christ. I counted everything else loss for Christ. The things that were gained to me, the things that I prioritized were no longer a priority. And Jesus Christ was the most important thing. And Paul turned his life over to Christ. We would call it in the vernacular a salvation experience. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. And if you remember last week, as we looked at the first six verses, we, we saw that Paul recognized the importance of Jesus Christ, and then he gave his resume in verses four through six, all the things according to man's thought process that made him a good, important guy. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee, which were the creme de la creme of the 
Jewish religious leaders. He had people that looked to him and he had an incredible reputation. When they saw Paul, they said, this is a guy that is an example of what it means to be godly. But Paul recognized Noah wasn't. And he came to a point where he, he realized that without Christ, he had no hope. All those things that he had done, all those accomplishments, his education under the, the best religious teachers of his time, the position that he held was worthless. And so here in verse 7 he says, I have seen those things in my life, I considered them gain, but they're, no, they're not gain, they're not worth the focus. And I turned my life over to Jesus Christ. He had trusted in his works. He had trusted in his position. But when he met Christ, that all changed. And he, instead of looking to his own works, his own abilities, his own accomplishments, he trusted Christ and looked to him for his hope and his future. But then he uses the same word in verse 8, the word count, but it's a little different emphasis. It is in the present tense which is a continuous action. His goal was to put Christ first on a daily basis. He would daily recognize that compared to Christ, everything else was rubbish or trash. Paul gave up an awful lot to follow Christ. We find out that this guy Paul, originally his name was Saul, was from Tarsus, which was an exclusive community. It was reserved for families of wealth and reputation. So Paul lived in the gated community. He lived in the upscale neighborhood. He had everything. And not only the wealth, but the position and the prestige of, of being one of these religious leaders. And as we talked about last week, the, the Pharisees, there were only less than 6,000 of them at a time throughout all of the nation. They were the top of the top, the creme de la creme. And Paul gave that up to follow Christ. Family and co-workers would reject him when he became a follower of Jesus. He went from a powerful, influential, well-respected religious leader to a poor itinerant missionary who was despised by the Jewish leaders and his life was continually threatened. But Paul compared the benefits of following Christ to the benefits of his former life, and he found that there was no comparison. What he had focused on before was garbage in comparison to what it meant to follow Christ. Jesus spoke of the comparison of following and focusing on things of this world versus things of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, he reminds us of that. It says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Jesus was focusing on the idea of materialism and earthly wealth versus heavenly wealth. Randy Alcorn explains it this way. He says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. The idea of where am I putting my effort? Where is my focus? We need to recognize we're a steward of all that God has given us. It's not ours to control and own. It's ours to use for Him. And we think automatically of the financial part, but it's so much more than that. It's our whole life. And oftentimes the financial part's the easiest to do. Oh, there's a need over there here. I'll give a little money, which is great. But there's so much more to it than that. And Paul recognized that Jesus Christ and following Him was worth it all. Giving up to gain. Because then he goes on and he shares in verses 9 through 11 some of the gains that take place when we follow Christ. Verses 9 through 11 says this, that after at the end of verse 8 that we are gain Christ, verse 9 starts, and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul lists some of the things that he gained in following Christ. He lost his position. He lost his wealth. He probably lost many of his family relationships when they turned their back on him as one of these crazy followers of Christ. But he gained so much more. We see that Paul gained the righteousness of Christ there in verse 9. It wasn't his righteousness which was from attempting to follow the law, but instead Christ's righteousness which comes from faith in God. Verse 9, it says, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Paul wanted to be found in Christ. Verse 9 begins, and to be found in Him. The idea there is that others would see God working in his life. That's one of those Christians, those little Christs. He wanted others to see Christ in Him because of Christ's work in Him and through Him. But not only did Paul gain a righteousness of Christ, we see that Paul gained a knowledge of Christ. And this is much more than just an intellectual knowledge, but it's an intimate relationship with Him. Paul knew that Jesus Christ was daily working in his life, daily walking with Him. And Paul gained the power of the resurrection. He had finally come to the realization that there was no power in the law. Trying to follow a set of rules and regulations as we talked about last week. That it's not this punch list of of things that I do. It's an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe who desires that relationship with us. And the power of the resurrection is a reminder that the power that God has, power over death, power throughout eternity. 
And that power was a power that, got, that Paul could rely upon, the power of Christ in his life. Power demonstrated by the resurrection and the victory over death. Paul could have that power which provided salvation, but not only that, power to live for Christ. As we go back to those words in verses 7 and 8, the idea of count. Count at a point in time where I recognize giving my life to Jesus Christ is more valuable than anything else, but also in verse 8 in the present tense, that count to daily recognize the importance of putting Christ first in my life today. And Paul knew that the Holy Spirit had been given to him to help fight those daily battles. But then, Paul continues on. Another gain in following Christ. Paul gained in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Now, many would not see that as a gain. But Paul did, and we should also. The persecution that Paul faced allowed him to associate with Christ. And also to rely on Christ and recognize Christ's power. Now, Paul wasn't seeking out the hardship. He's not suggesting you say, hey, how can I suffer for Jesus today? How can my life be miserable today? No, that's not what he's talking about. The idea of standing with Christ, no matter how difficult the circumstances. This week I was listening to... Uh, uh, a story of some veterans. And these two guys were talking, and, and one of them was in serious trouble. It was in Vietnam. And the other one stayed back to help him and his friends and, and rescue them. And, and he had a way out. But he went back into the fray to protect his fellow soldiers. And so to hear those guys talking, is an amazing story, but to hear those guys talking, and the one saying, you know, I, I couldn't believe you came back, and as you did, it, and, and I don't, I'm not able to explain all the situation, but basically, him coming back allowed many of them to be able to escape the gunfire they were under. And he said, I couldn't believe you came back. And he said, I wouldn't consider anything else. I'm going to stand with you just as I know you would have stood with me if the tables were turned on the situation. We have seen Jesus Christ give his life for us. It's a natural response for us to be willing to live and even to die for Him. I say a natural response, not in our human nature, but through the power of Jesus Christ. And so, Paul said that I have gained so much in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul shares a physical struggle he faced and God's grace, even though Paul was not healed from the physical pain. He doesn't describe what it is. Many people believe it's his eyesight. We're not sure. 
But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8-10, through 10, listen to what Paul said. Concerning this thing, this physical struggle he was having. I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong." What's he saying? He's saying, listen, as I go through these difficult times, I see God's presence. I feel God's grace. I see God's power in my life. And so he said, although I had prayed that God would take whatever this infirmity was away, when he didn't, I could be rejoicing in his grace and in His power and presence in my life, even in the most difficult of times. So it was again the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. But finally we see that Paul gained glory. No matter what would take place in his life, Paul could look forward to eternity. Now, this may be a little confusing in verse 11. It says, if by any means I may attend, is he Doubting that God will save him? No. The idea of that phrase there is this. The phrase is not referring to doubt about his eternal life, but rather humility in recognizing that it is through Christ and not himself. If by any means Paul had tried all of his own ways to get to God, but he recognized that they failed miserably, the only hope he had was in Christ and Christ alone. He was the only means for Paul's salvation and Paul's hope for eternity. Back in Philippians chapter 1, if you remember back, it's quite a few weeks now, but Paul shared that he was looking forward to eternity with confidence, his ultimate hope, his ultimate gain. He said in verses 21 through 23 of Philippians 1, For to me to live is Christ and to die is great gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He could look forward to death. Now, I'm sure he was not excited about being executed for Christ, which eventually he was. And he was writing this from prison, not knowing his future. But he could look forward to eternal life beyond the grave. The ultimate gain. And so as Paul counted the benefits and negatives. All those things that he had tried. And if you're here today and you say, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I go to church. I, I do this. I do that. I help my neighbor. I'm better than my neighbor. We can give a whole list of things. We don't meet God's standard. But Christ paid the price. 
Did Paul give up things to follow Christ? Absolutely. But those things paled in comparison to all the gains he had in Christ. And the ultimate gain, eternity with God in heaven. And so Paul could look in both in his eternal perspective and in his daily life that choosing Christ was far better. He counted the cost. Just like the pearl of great price, giving everything else up for that one thing. We're called to give it all up for Christ. Jim Elliott was a missionary to the Aka Indians. He and four others went and they, and they were trying to reach this tribe of Indians down in South America. And, and they would go and they would drop off gifts. One of them was a pilot. And finally the day came when they were actually going to land the plane and try to meet these Indians, these Akas. And when they went in, the five of them were martyred, killed. And many people, I'm sure, looked at Jim Elliott and the four other guys and said, what a waste, young lives taken away. But they looked at it so differently. And probably the most famous quote from Jim Elliott was this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He recognized it wasn't a waste. And the cool thing is that his family and, and others were able eventually to go in and meet with the Akas, and many, many of them gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and the others who had gone in, even though they didn't see the end of it, were the start, and their lives were used by God to change the lives of thousands. If we look at it from human perspective, okay, well, he had so many things he could do and yet it was all taken away and, and he should have done something else with his life that would have been more productive. He was like, no, this is the most productive thing I can do. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott recognized that. The Apostle Paul recognize that. We are challenged to recognize it also. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness in our lives, and I pray that you would help us to count the cost, to understand that choosing you is the greatest decision that we can make in our lives, also to daily live for you. And to recognize in comparison to everything else, you are worth it. And following you is worth anything we would be called upon to give up. We will give you the glory and the praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.